Hello and you're all very welcome to the Unsafe Space. We are back. We are back. We took a bit of a break, um, but we are now hitting 2020 uh, like a rocket as we enter March. <laughs> we uh, weren't exactly out of the traps. Um, uh, we weren't exactly out of the traps very quickly, but here we are. We're back. and uh, well, we, we were supposed to be back ages ago. But... We were supposed to be back ages ago. We, we went through a month of of horrific disease in in the Redmond Ryan household. Um, Starting with our three-year-old, he got the flu, God love him. He got the flu and then... You got man flu. Then I got the flu and then I got pleurisy. Not man flu, actual real disease. Then the the, the little one-year-old, he got the flu, some unknown virus. And Sarah picked up an ancient disease that the mummies last had, which was Quincy, and ended up in Beaumont Hospital, which we really should talk about. Talk about Dickensian. Yeah, let's talk about that, actually. Oh, my God, we will, yeah. We'll talk about that during after a little intro. But, yeah, Dickensian is the only word you could use to describe it. I mean, deliberately bad. I mean, I just can't understand. It must be deliberately bad. Is it a deterrent or something, the A&E in Beaumont? Maybe they want you to leave. Maybe they, maybe they just don't want you to come back, just go somewhere else. They just act so bad, they make you go to Blanchestown or the Manor or Vincent's or somewhere. But um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, we, but for, first of all, for those of you who don't know, my name is Keith Redmond, I'm a former Fianna Gael councillor, and my beloved Sarah Ryan. Uh, say hello, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. I'm very, very low, I don't think you're speaking loud enough. <laughs> um, Sarah's a former Fianna Fáil councillor, so we'll get into the election as well. Uh, Sarah and I have been in bed for some number of years and it looks like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are about to get into bed so you know eventually they catch up. Try it you'll like it. Try it you'll like it. So yeah so today we're going to talk about the um, election and we're also going to talk about Beaumont A&E as we've just, as we've just decided. Loads to catch up on. Uh, loads to catch up on. We thoroughly enjoyed the election we did not <clears throat> thoroughly enjoy the results. Now, we may also have a bit of a COVID-19 coronavirus running aspect to the podcast we might do a bit now and then do a bit next week and if any of us are still here alive in three weeks' time, we'll do a bit more. Um, so we've much, much to talk about. Um, but we'll start off talking about... Um, I still think you had it when you were lying on the bathroom floor, vomiting and whinging. I think that was it. Yeah, no, there was no whinging. It was just praying for death. Praying for death. Um, oh, you're so painful. But, um, yeah. yeah, so to start, to start we'll do you talk, want to talk briefly about, about my disease. <laughs> so long story short, we were all sick in the house. I got Quincy, which is an abscess complication of tonsillitis that where an abscess grows in your throat. Blah, blah, blah. Blocks your um, airway. Blah, blocks blah, your blah. airway. And um, basically, I went to the doctor and he was like, I think you need to go to Beaumont. But while I was pregnant with our second child, I had a heart kind of thing where I ended up in Beaumont. So I had already seen it. I had already stared into the dark circle of hell. Um, and I did not want to go back. So I bartered with the doctor to let me go home for a few hours. And then I got worse and worse. And Keith rang me. I wouldn't be talked to. And my sister... So I decided doctor, to trick her. My sister, who's a doctor, he got her to ring me and say that basically they could hear by my voice. With This part was true, that the airway was closing and that I should go she to She had a thing called hot potato voice, which is when the an infection in your in your kind of... Floor, Tell the dentist. In the floor of your mouth, well, as, as, as your dentist, 
when an infection in the floor of your mouth or the back of your throat is becoming so bad, it's lifting the tongue up into the airway. And you start to speak a little bit like this, as if you had a hot potato in your voice. You kind of sound like Sean Connery when you're doing it. Well, Sean Connery has a hot potato voice all the time, actually. Uh, he, should be, he should be going and get that regularly checked. Um, but he, but yeah, but, so Sarah clearly, her voice had changed. She wouldn't listen to me, of course. Um, so I got her sister, who's a doctor, to call her and tell her that she must immediately go. And that I had arranged for her to see be seen a nice swift and clean and don't even and, actually and talk about this because it's going to make me annoyed all and uh, said so we'll, we'll go to Bon Secours in, in Glasnevin I'd already okayed it and everything was boxed off by the way by the way if you've ever been to Beaumont you'll understand why I didn't want to go back anyway she will tell you all about it now so uh, anyway they tricked me I got in a taxi mm-hmm. and then while I was in the taxi on my way up it turned out that Bon Secours closes at a certain time. Well, no, Bon Secours don't do ear, nose and throat, ENT. They don't have that facility. They don't do, so they yeah, couldn't it's great. Do. They don't tell you that when you're paying your insurance premium. Yeah, actually, that's another point. Like, If you're paying your private health insurance, surely there's a place yeah. you should be able to just go and get around can't all go this to the, hellscape. Can't go this, to this place. Can't go to that place. Like, oh, I'm on the way in a taxi. Yeah. It's kind of like you ring up and you're like, oh, I'm on the way and I've got... The, what have you got? Oh, no, we don't do that, mate. Thanks yeah. for the money, though. Yeah, what infections? Like, um, so anyway, I went to Beaumont. It, the GP rang ahead, said my airway was closing and I needed to be, you get your throat lanced open. Now, I was trying to picture this, okay? You know when you stare into your throat in the mirror and you see the little dangly thing down the back of your throat? That's called the uvula. Now, <clears throat> the uvula generally demarks the midline of your, of, your, of your palate, of your throat. Sarah, when you looked in, didn't have any opening whatsoever to the, to the left of that uvula as you look in. There was nothing there. The tonsil was so swollen, it had pushed the uvula over to the other side and it blocked up about half of that space as well. So she had about a quarter of the space airway you normally get when you go in. And of course, she still didn't want to go to the hospital. But anyway, so we rock okay. up. So Sarah but rocks did, up to But Bond. I did go, and as you'll hear, I was completely vindicated by... Uh, we're, we're drinking wine, by the way. It's the evening time as we do this. I was completely vindicated for not wanting to go to Belmont. First of all, I got a, the GP rings ahead and says I have a net closing airway. So I only had to wait the two hours in the waiting room thinking I was going to Standing, die. standing in the waiting room. No chairs. Eventually there was a chair right beside the doorway. The door that opens and closes for the very gravely ill people who have to get up every 15 minutes to smoke and leave the door open. The door is also left open by the other gravely ill people who are going around the corner to the Starbucks to get iced coffees with cream and sprinkles on the top because they're so sick that they need a hit of caffeine, obviously, with their mates. Mm. So I sat there for two hours listening to the absolute shite talk of lots of people in that, not all, lots of people in that waiting room who are full of shit, nothing wrong with them. No business being an accident or emergency. If if you've got Starbucks on your mind, piss off home and go to the GP and pay for it. There's nothing wrong with you. I was literally sitting there like couldn't breathe and basically what ended up happening was that my temperature ended up so high that I was like shaking and the door kept opening it was so cold my phone battery had died and it was like just hell I was like I'm gonna die here and this is nobody cares these people care more about coffee and their cigarette breaks and whatever so I was utterly enraged as well this experience has this experience has made us realise that there are loads of different things we could do to improve A&E as lay people but anyway so anyway, eventually a nurse came out and called my name. Great. To be fair, the care that I got from the nurse like immediately was amazing. Like she took my temperature, it was like 106. I started bawling, crying. I was like, can I please have a blanket? I'm so cold. And she was like, look, 
I'm not being mean, but with a temperature like that, I'm not, I can't give you a blanket yet. I'm going to give you a drip. I'm going to give you paracetamol and paracetamol will bring your temperature down, blah, 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 blah. And then we'll have a look at your throat. I was like, fine. So to be fair, she was amazing, really nice, proper care, called in another nurse. They got the drip in. Like, it's amazing how quickly it worked. My temperature came down. Then they looked into my mouth. It was obviously so bad that they got their mates to come in and have a look at it. Every student in the building. Every student in the building got to come down and have a look, which I don't don't mind at all. They're all like, wow, this is amazing. A real Quincy. We don't get to see these every day. And uh, then she said, we have to get a surgeon down straight away to lance that open. By which point I was like, I don't care. Just do it, whatever. Um, So that happened. That was glorious. And uh, after that happened, they give you a bucket because obviously when they lance open an abscess in your throat, it's full of whatever. So he gave me a bucket. and uh, Gorgeous. And uh, he said, brought me back down to like the kind of main area, um, not the waiting room, but is it triage or whatever? And um, he a, said... A, a chair, basically. A chair. And he said, sit on that chair there for a minute while I get somebody and we're going to get you a bed because you need to stay on IV antibiotics <clears throat> for five days minimum. So like... 19 hours later I was still on that chair spitting into a bucket can you imagine not being able to sleep while you're spitting pus into a bucket sitting on a formica chair like an office chair for 18 hours in a corridor with loads of other people wailing and roaring and screaming I mean it was like you were only stayed for two of us well I'm I'm, just the bit I was there I had to go home and mind our children my mum was here so you had to go home and go to bed okay look there's no need to get into the detail of what I had to do everyone suffered um Anyway, the point being that I sat on the chair for uh, 19 hours. Uh, the uh, oh, No, no, somebody from the hospital came down to ask me for my VHI number uh, <laughs> because uh, I had health insurance and she, uh, lol, said that um, if a bed became available, um, private then, um, bed. a private bed became available, well, then I would be considered for it. Mate, you can't even give me a trolley. Never mind about By the way, I checked and the day, that day, uh, I was surrounded by people on chairs people with um, mental health issues, like grand teenagers, but n- like it's not the place, it's the most depressing place in the world. I don't know why anybody who was having a depressive episode would be there because it's the worst place for them. Uh, people on Librium who are coming off alcohol, that kind of thing. And uh, on the uh, Belmont Hospital website, they alleged that they had 16 people on trolleys. 19. 19. Well, there was tons of people on chairs so they obviously yeah, don't like 40 minimum so anyway i was there for the whole night screaming and roaring uh people getting sick uh nonsense whatever it's absolute hell on earth and then after the 18 19 hours i was a man came down and said i was being brought up to the ward and i thought wonderful and getting out of this chair just to, oh, by the way for a good period of my stay my chair was in front of the laundry closet so anytime any bed or a person needed a towel or a blanket or a sheet, I had to get out of the chair to allow somebody to get into the laundry closet. So that was great as well. Me and my bucket of blood. But anyway, um, so then I was told I was being brought up to the ward and brought all the way up to the ward to find out that the ward was just another room full of chairs. So More chairs. I um, left. <laughs> I was trying myself out. Uh, the nurse came over and I was like, I'm just not staying here. I'm sorry. And... In the beginning, she was like, everybody here, a bit salty. And she was like, everybody here is uh, waiting for a bed. And I was like, I just stood up and I was like, I don't really care what everybody else is waiting for. I'm not waiting anymore for a bed. I'm going home. 
I'd rather, and she's like, oh, well, you need IV antibiotics for five days. I was like, I'd rather die in my own bed than stay here any longer. And then she was like, look, you're second on the list for a bed. I said, I don't care. I don't believe lies, you. Lies. I was like, I've been told that for since yesterday and I don't believe you. And she said, well, they lie. I don't lie to people up here. I was like, look, mate, I don't care. So she's like, you'll have to sign this form if you're going to leave. And I was like, grand, get it. So I signed the form and uh, I left and uh, I went home went to bed, slept for a good eight hours or something and felt better already. And uh, You are in bed for a week. No, I was in bed for a week and I was taking antibiotics orally and the next day somebody from Belmont rang me and asked me to come back and uh, said that I was very sick and that I should take uh, what I had really seriously or whatever. And I was like, well, if you took it that seriously, you wouldn't have left me sitting in a chair for 18 hours. So it's obviously not that serious. And I'll take the, my chance. The thing about it is, what struck me about being there for the few hours I was there and listening to Sarah's story is a few things. Number one, this is not out of the ordinary. Everybody else in that situation, a good 40 people, were all sitting on chairs waiting to be admitted, allegedly admitted to a bed. The woman who was in charge of the bed said to us, by the way, there are no beds upstairs. Nobody is getting a bed today, right? So that's there's your 12, 24 hours straight away. So this is not out of the ordinary. This is standard practice in Beaumont A&E. Number two, you're sitting in a chair in a corridor. Now, in a corridor, not a room, okay? The glorious kind of uplands 12, 18 hours later where Sarah was brought to a room to sit in a chair like shows you like that's the you know they consider that to be a fantastic standard but other than that you're sitting in a corridor with all these other people all screaming and wailing and um, they talk about trolleys and then the trolley issue right I would have bit so someone's hand off I the trolley. think what they should do is immediately the big room in a hospital the the, the, the room they brought her to a second right or even build a damn school hall in the grounds and put trolleys in it so at least people can lie down I mean Number one, half the people in the accident emergency entry ward shouldn't be there, right? They should be kicked out and told to go to GP practice. They're neither accidents nor emergencies. Get lost, go to your GP tomorrow. That clears out half the nonsense. Here's here's the test. If you have a craving on you for an iced latte, in go Starbucks. home. Go home right now. You're not sick. The second thing is if you bring somebody in and you say, yeah, you are very sick, we are going to treat you, don't put them in a formica office chair. That's like I think that should be basic medical practice. And secondly, don't put them in one of those for 18 hours with no sleep and expect them to get well. That's not going to happen. Get the fucking trolleys, get loads of trolleys, put them in a big room, let everybody lie down and get over the fact that the trolley numbers will go up. Who gives a shit? Okay. I know they're paranoid about trolley numbers. And so if you're sitting in a chair, you're not in a trolley and therefore they're all doing a great job. They're not. They're rubbish. It has to be deliberate. It has to be deliberate because it's so bad. You, listening to this right now, would go in and say, right, well, here's four things I would do better right now. And you would be right. And they know that these things can be done and they're not doing them. So it's absolutely deliberate. Beaumont A&E, hang your head in shame. You're a scandal. You're an absolute scandal. You're appalling. So that was Sarah's experience of the uh, public health system in Beaumont Hospital. Next time I'll just die in home. Then. I think next time we just go to Black Rock Clinic, throw her throw our, our keys of our house there and say, look, just take the house and do whatever you have to do, but not going to it, Beaumont Day. Well, it turns out, because we did the research afterwards, that like really after the Lansing and stuff like that, that VHI would come to your house and give you IV antibiotics. And if I'd known that, I would have asked to be discharged right after that was done and said, I'll get my IV antibiotics. Well, you see, home. the woman going around with her little clipboard should have known that when she was asking you, do you have private health insurance? But instead, she was trying to charge you for sitting there in the four market chair. I imagine... 
and I'm like n- not not to be the defender of VHI, but like why would VHI charge for me to get the same shit service everybody else is getting? And then, lo- like just added um, yeah. yeah, yesterday I get um, a bill from Belmont for a hundred euro for uh, checking, which or for any whatever, uh, despite the fact that. that I had a GP letter which they'd obviously misplaced. So I had to ring them today and be like, yeah. Um, why am I getting a bill for sitting in a chair? And uh, they were like, well, you didn't have a GP letter. I said, I did have a GP letter. So, like, have a look or I'll ring my GP and get him to resend it. So I'm not paying 100 euro. Um, and then she rang back and was like, oh, actually, yeah, no, that was sent to you in error. Bloody sure it was sent to me in error. Should have paid me to stay there. Honestly, like, just like, look, there's loads of problems. Everybody knows there's loads of problems. But there's but some like, easy fixes. But like, but but also there's easy fixes, and everybody can rant on about the you know the system and all that, and that's great. There's also a small element of this, which is the level of nonsense people, personal responsibility, clogging up the waiting room of a hospital with your bullshit. Groups of people sitting around. Yeah, I'm just waiting for a letter from my doctor because I think I have the flu. Here's a clue from Doctor Sarah Ryan. When you're going in and out to smoke and you're walking around and chatting, you don't have the flu. There you go. Case closed. Go back to work. Like, why are you in Beaumont Hospital? Like, it's just, like, obviously there's a system or whatever, but, like, maybe there needs to be a triage nurse who says, you're a GP, and by the way, the GP wait is 18 hours into that room. Good luck. I guarantee you there won't be people sticking around. Absolutely. And the other thing is that, I'm sorry, but half of those people there don't have to worry about the 100 euro. They don't care because they're not paying for it either way. Well, that is the that is the other issue. I mean, a lot of people there are on medical card. They don't pay for anything uh, in there. So therefore, they can just go with impunity. They treat it as a GP clinic. Like I'm complaining that has about, to end. I'm complaining about the 100 that euro. Has to end. I'm complaining about the 100 euro on principle. But do you, I would not care if I was seriously ill and I was like... I haven't like I haven't gone to my GP. It's the middle of it. I don't care about paying the hundred euro. I'm happy to pay it if it deters nonsense people. Then fine, like no problem. But I like half of the people in there. I'm sorry, I'm not a doctor, but I know by looking at them, they're not sick. They've got three mates with them. Why am I standing so that a 19 year old with her Starbucks can bring four mates to sit around and talk? This kind of thing blows my mind and. There is a system, there are things that need to change within the system, and that's all true. But there also just needs to be some kind of like cultural shift. We're talking about gangland crime and we have to change people's perception of what it is to do drugs. What about having a campaign or a cultural shift about what it means to go to the accident and emergency department? And if you're not really sick, go home. You see, I think this is the problem. that They deliberately make it so awful for people sick people that they deter sick people from going to the A&E but for the people who don't really have that much of a problem who just sit around drinking lattes all day then they're happy enough to just go because they can just sit there and why not having the crack having the crack why not just sit there so they're only from around the corner it doesn't cost them any money anyway but we better move on every single time every single time they open the door to go out for a cigarette the door would like wedge open and I'd have to get up and close the door then they come back in Door open again. It's like well, there's some easy fixes. If you're from Beaumont Hospital or the HSE, right? There's some easy fixes for A and E. And if you don't know what they are, give me a call. But there's some really easy fixes on how to make things better for patients. Now it's grand for staff, right? You're all fantastic. You're all saints, and we all know that, right? But for patients, I'm talking about to make it better for them. And, and you're not being sarcastic. I mean, like we're, um, like the the actual care. No, the, the actual no, the staff is doctor. fantastic. But the problem is 
they are working in a system that they know is rubbish and they won't change it. Yeah. And I do blame them for that. I do blame them. No, for but that. they can't. Do- of course, they can change it. The nursing staff in there, the, and the management, and and the, 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 uh, the no, no, the, the, the senior matrons who are going it, they can change it. There's Absolutely. no senior matrons. Like the senior nurses and whatever, they could definitely change it. And a big room with trolleys does not take a genius to to, to work out. I mean, okay. Anyway. anyway, that's the system. And also, if you're sitting at home and you feel like you've got a bit of tickle in your throat and you're also dying for a bit of a Starbucks, the waiting room of Beaumont is not the place for you. Thank you. No. Actually, while we're, while we're on the medical stuff, we should probably do our little, our little section on coronavirus. So, so well, okay, so who's, who, who are we going to say is the alarmist? Because oh, well, I think we both are. Okay, we're both alarmists. Like we're both alarmists in the old ground Now, just, just before I get hysterical about the donuts thing in Ireland anymore, part of my reason for being caught overly cautious about medicine and food and having things in the freezer or whatever, A, is because if it was just the two of us, I wouldn't care about eating beans and rice for six weeks. But because we have young kids, I'm overly cautious. Second of all, I'm not worried about the virus. I'm worried about the Irish cultural propensity to get absolutely <laughs> buck, buck wild driving a JCD into the side of a little when there's a bit of snow, like r- r- like ripping each other to shreds over a sliced pan and the supply chain... And the donuts. And the donuts in Blanchardstown and the Garth Brooks and there's just never enough of anything for yeah. us. And so... That's why we can't have nice things. Exactly. So I was more worried about that. And so... If there was did, ever a country that diligence. is so ill-prepared culturally for any kind of mass hysteria it is Ireland we, we do mass hysteria better than anybody else we are fantastic at mass hysteria we love it we love it so I have extra um, flu related medicine in case we need it and yeah we went in and, and scavenged the, the, the pharmacy got all the paracetamol the neurofen they had got all the diorolite and the whole show so if there's nothing left in your pharmacy it's because Sarah and I have it all in One, addition two we boxes went down, in, yes, in addition we went down to little we cleared out little as well of all of its non-perishable goods, tin cans and whatnot. And We're going to uh, be eating lentils for a while. Apparently Sarah tells me you can freeze milk. I don't believe her, but you can freeze milk and thaw it out again. So we have a bit of that going. So if you haven't prepared for this, if you don't have your underground cave already no, no. packed out, By the way, it's too late. You're going to die. When the, it's too late. When the apocalypse breaks out and there's just law and order has broken down and all... You know, a quick Google will tell you our address and then you can just come and rob us. Well, no, no, we're, we're obviously going to go to our, our, our holiday home. So don't be telling me that. <laughs> just come around. You know, I, I love the way, like, you know, those I've seen loads of videos online the last week of like preppers, you know, in America, they've got like six years worth of tinned tomatoes. And Finally, they're right. Like, I'm Finally, like, they're right. I'm living in the back of Montana and whatever. And I'm like, mate, like you're telling people where you are. So the guys with the bigger guns than you are just going to show up and be like, give me the tomatoes. And then, I told you this day would come. Yeah, they've been waiting. The Chinese have sent a biological weapon. Anyway, I think that the thing about the coronavirus is that... Um, yeah, okay, what is your actually, opinion? What is your opinion, your genuine opinion on the coronavirus and the actual proper risk to people in Ireland? What is, what is your I don't calculated think, opinion? I do not think it's anything to be sniffed at. I think there's loads of people who are immunocompromised. I think there's loads of people who are over a certain age. And being flippant about something that only kills old people is, well, you know, very reflective of the real heart and soul of our society, the caring society that we've become. But, um, no, I mean, the, the normal flu kills people. Like, yeah. the normal flu kills see, this children. Is what, this is you, you're going to read this thing where initially people are saying, look, the normal flu kills people, and this is only killing old people, and everybody okay. needs to calm down. 
But, but like yeah. most car crashes don't kill people, but you still wear your seatbelt. First of all, my dad and my, you know, my dad and maybe your grandparents are quite old and therefore... I don't have any grandparents. No, I'm talking, I'm talking about the listeners. Oh. There, there's other people listening. So, you know, my parents are quite old and, um, you know, my grandparents are quite old and we might be quite fond of them. And if they die, we mightn't like that. So the fact that old people are, are predominantly the people who are dying is not necessarily a, a reason to be blasé about this. But in addition, anybody with a respiratory disease bronchitis, emphysema, um, asthma, you know, those people are all at risk. Anybody who's immunocompromised, anybody who has any kind of illness at all, really, that has diminished their immune system, like, all these people are vulnerable. And the other thing is that the people say, well, it's just the flu, it's kind of like, it's not. I mean, from my reading, number one, there's two things to consider. Number one is the infectiousness of the virus. In other words, how many people can you infect if you have it? Number two, the fatality of the virus, how likely you're to die. So the infectiousness if you want to get all technical, there's this thing called ORO, you read all about it. And the infectiousness um, of normal flu is like 0.1. So, um, sorry, it's, sorry, it's 1.3. So in other words, you infect basically a little over one person for everyone you've got, right? And then the 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 infectiousness of this guy is something, coronavirus is something between two and a half and three. So it's, it's, it's double the infectiousness. Secondly, the fatality rate. Fatality rate of flu is like, you know, 1%. Vitality rate of this is allegedly 3%, although we're getting those figures predominantly from China. I mean, if you believe that, you can believe anything. Also, can I just say as well that, like, <clears throat> fatality is not the only barometer of something's impact. Mm. Like, we're, you know, the, have started this podcast by talking about the fact that we in our house have been sick for a month. A month, right? yeah. One whole month. Like, literally, it started with our three-year-old. He was sick, like... He's three and a half. He's barely ever been sick. He was very, very sick for 10 days. He's, he weighed at the start about four stone because he's a child, maybe slightly under. He lost approximately six pounds, mm. like about 10% of his body weight. And his temperature like, was spiking all the time. We could not get it down. Kept having to give him Norofan like every six, every three hours and paracetamol, whatever. Like he was sick. Very, very sick. Mm. He was puking. It was awful. And then his eardrum burst. His eardrum away. burst. Like, it turned into a bacterial infection. It was hell. And then Keith got sick. And then Connor got sick. And then I got sick. My point being is that the, like, damage of, like, the impact to our household, like, because we were both sick and then Keith had to go back to work because he's a dentist. Luckily, one of the weeks, the week that I was really sick was the school midterm and my mum is a teacher. She was off, so she was able to come over with my dad and mind the kids because I was in bed. Like, the point being that, like, the fatality of something isn't the only barometer of how much it's going to disrupt. Like, we had nothing. Like, I couldn't do anything. Like, our son couldn't go to Montessori. Keith missed loads of work. Like, the economic impact of that... Like the, there's a there's a huge knock on from us being one family being sick. So, like like things like the supply chain. If one in five people, as they're predicting in the UK, gets this, one in five people will be off work. That's a massive, massive economic thing. If Deloitte and Google and that continue to uh, work, suggest that people work from home because of it. Cafes, small cafes, small employers all around, they get nailed. Like this isn't just oh well. Only this amount of people die, so the 90, 97% of us are like, we're all right, Jack. It's a serious, like, potentially driving the country into re- the world economy into recession event. It's not something to be sniffed at. It's not as simple as, ah, oh, lads, chill out, it's only the flu. 
okay, it's only the flu, but it's a serious flu. And people who get it who are healthy, they're still really sick for two weeks. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it's very difficult to know. I mean, we're we're, um, recording this now, um, kind of Thursday night going into Friday. You're going to hear this on Tuesday, presumably. And we've just read that seven new people Seven new cases. Seven we just got cases. an alert on the laptop. Yeah, seven new cases have just been one confirmed. Of, so that's 13 in the Republic, one of which was a community transmission. In other words, not from Italy or anybody else traveling. This is something that was contracted in Ireland. So we're now in the kickoff stage. Um, I don't think anybody really reasonable has any faith that the authorities have a handle on this when it comes to the health system. I mean, you, you've listened to us talk about A&E in Beaumont, which is already a failed state, to be perfectly frank. Any kind of increase in numbers going into A&E anywhere in the country is going to collapse the healthcare system easy, like easy. No, that's not dramatic. That's not hyperbole. That is absolutely easy to understand because the hospital system in the A&E is so appalling. I mean, it's fail state. So, like, that's the first thing. Second, the second thing then is people at home, as Sarah was saying, all those people out of work, every single person, they think about it, like, the everything from your postman, your delivery guy, the electricians, the plumbers, the carpenters, the builders who are building the houses, the, the doctors, the nurses who are in the hospitals, the teachers who are in the schools, everybody out sick. A fifth of the population is what the UK have said. They're going to be out sick. And we're lucky because I work for myself and I work from home mostly and we have a minder who comes to our house. So even if, like, so, like, it, but if I was working full time and, yeah, well, like, I mean, I, and, and, the, and the school's closed... Yeah. What would we do? One well, of this us would is, have well, to this go. Is it. People will have to stay at home even if they're not sick and even if their kids aren't sick if the school's closed. I mean, every single school and university in Italy has been closed. Every single school in Italy, for two weeks has been closed. So the parents have to kind of, one of the parents has to stay home. So that's going to have an economic impact. For my own job, I'm literally at the mouth of it because I have 15 to 20 people a day who are coughing on me. So if this is any way prevalent, I'm pretty confident I'm going to get it. I mean, I would generally get a flu every every flu season, even though I get the flu jab. And that's the scariest thing so, of all, because you're a pain in the hole. When you're well, sick. first of all, it will be a proper gen. It will not be man flu. It will not be man. This is like a it's a diagnosis. WHO will say that I'm actually sick. I'm going to get a letter to tell them that you're sick, because you know, never believe when I'm sick, even though I had pleurisy, folks. Pleurisy, a real disease. But the point is that Sarah and I are both on the on the kind of the cusp of going. Yeah, it could be okay, but no, people are really underestimating this. Really and also, like, you know, wash your hands and all that stuff. We know all that. That's grand. But, like, let's be honest. There's a chance that, um, like, this is out there. It's happening. We're, we're reading updates on the laptop here. And, you know, like, there might be nothing. This might be just a We're, a, a, we're a at 197. Of, are we dead in Italy? You know, yeah, 197 people who were alive two weeks ago? Yeah. So anyway, anyway folks, that's, that's like by the time this podcast goes out, yeah, there'll be even more updates. This podcast going, could be going out to an empty to an empty country where everybody is dead. Yeah, and one person is like, oh my god, they've got lentils, and then comes and they, they were right. They were right. <laughs> kind of like the zombie apocalypse. They they were right. them all? Oh my god, where do they live? <laughs> okay, so that's all our healthcare conversation. So now today. let's get down to the now we're getting down to the meat and veg. The election of 2020. So I would just like to start off by saying that I wrote down on my phone that I knew that Sinn Féin were going to have a really good election. And I did not think it was going to be quite that good. But I had a feeling that Sinn Féin were going to have a good election. 
And I also had a feeling that Fianna Fáil weren't going to have as good of an election as we thought, because I just thought that the campaign lacked energy. Um, uh, or policy or okay, anything. Calm down. No, no, any policy. Worst one. performance ever. One would do, one would do. Um, however, like, by the way, Keith, like, spare me the sanctimony. Like, your campaign started off with homeless people getting, like, forklifted. Like, honestly, it was like, it's the worst. Why did the Finfall Lord Mayor of Dublin do that? Um, no, I'm only joking, folks. I mean, that was obviously a horrific thing that happened. But the fact is, it's it's not really a political issue. And it well, it is because the it should have been made. A it is issue. because it is it is a, 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 a political issue, Keith, Why? because there is a serious problem with homelessness and there's a housing crisis that Fine Gael haven't addressed. No, well, actually, no, that's that's fair. I think I think that you know, and there's one, a massive one thing you would admit about Fianna Fáil, and by the way... Don't give me they built houses in 1930. I don't care. Like, well, I really don't and, care. And 40, 50, 60, oh, 70, 80, 90, and the not. Look, I mean... They do better at that than you do. What, what do they do better at? They're in government more than Fianna Gael are. Fine. They're okay, around Fianna when Gael's things happen. Fianna Gael's been in government for 10 years and it's a shit show. They're around when things happen. Well, it's a shit show. They've cured unemployment. Okay, no, no, unemployment I'm just, of Fianna Gael's We're and just talking about housing. the economy. We're just talking about bad. housing. Housing is... Oh, yeah, housing, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, don't get me That's wrong. It's kind here. of fundamental if you ask yeah, but, 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 and Manslow's theory of hierarchic yeah. needs. I think if I that a gaff is pretty pivotal. Now, that's actually a very interesting point because I think you're you've touched on something that's very, very important. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like which you don't if you don't know folks, just look it up there, Google it, right? So basically it, it, it says that, you know, there are basic needs that people have. Okay, so you house it, you got you gotta be able to have shelter, you've gotta be able to eat. You know, you've got to have security, you know, these kind of basic, basic things. And then we move up and we kind of go, things that are kind of nice, like education, a bit of healthcare, those kind of things. And then you move on up higher and these self-actualization things, like, you know, we're, you know, we like to go to the opera and we like to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, right. Look it up. It's actually very interesting because it, it also describes what voters tend to vote on. Yeah. Because if you, if you don't have shelter and you don't have security and you don't have food you're voting on that obviously right if you do have those things you don't vote on them so this is explains for example why housing and healthcare are not actually i don't really believe despite the election i don't really believe there are reasons that a lot of people vote on because most people have housing and healthcare, so they're, they're satisfied their needs are satisfied but as those needs as, a, as the number of people who don't have those needs satisfied increases, suddenly those become the issue. And I think that that's where Sinn Féin did so well because they touched on those lower Maslow hierarchy of needs, those, those needs as opposed to wants. They touched on the basics. And Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael just thought like, well, you know, the, the usual rules will apply. You know, there will be a lot, a lot of people making a lot of noise in the media about it, but it won't actually translate the vote. And the second thing is I... I think I have to take my hat off to Sarah because Sarah did predict that Sinn Féin would have a good election. I thought they'd have a terrible election. I thought they were like the local and European election six months ago. I thought they were irrelevant. You know. I have this um, uh, theory. Well, it's not a theory, but like years ago, um, I used to always read an election based on taxi drivers. And when, my, when I was in college, I worked in a taxi company as a base controller for like six years, like all through my college education. And... Um, Taxi drivers in Dublin were always a great barometer of like what people were talking about, what was going on, what was, you know, whatever. And um, that's obviously changed. But one thing I've noticed in the last few elections is because um, on Facebook, 
because I was a counsellor and whatever, and I've been on Facebook since like 2007 or something, really loads of random friends on Facebook of all kinds of persuasion, people from college, you know, whatever, over a thousand. And I really noticed leading up to this election that I was struck by the type of people who were sharing things, positive things about Sinn Féin as their statuses. And I was kind of surprised, mm. not your average Sinn Féin voter. And that was the thing that I started to think, hmm. And then also, like, the Fianna Fáil campaign wasn't great. Like, it was very, it's our turn, so give us a go kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And it wasn't strong on policy. It wasn't strong on ideas. And one of my criticisms, and, like, you know, we'll laugh and we'll have, we have a podcast and you're the Fianna Gael one and I'm the Fianna Fáil one. But, like, I don't consider myself to be particularly partisan in the sense that, mm. like, I don't believe in blind loyalty and I believe in calling it when you see it and I don't defend everything about Fianna Fáil any more than you defend anything about Fianna Gael, to be fair. And I thought that the Fianna Fáil campaign was shit. Hmm. I thought that it lacked imagination. I thought that it was entitled. I thought that um, one of the um, good things about, you know, and we, we've talked about this, I think Fianna Fáil do PR in government better hmm. and Fianna Gael do uh, opposition better just because and they've been there long enough fair yeah. I think that the Fianna Fáil party positions on uh, things uh, like the key issues of the election like housing like health should have been stronger not a ducka ducka uh, uh, slodge oh, and uh, uh, like it wasn't good it wasn't strong and I could feel that like there was this kind of sense of like well Fianna Fáil are going to do really well because like sure aren't they it's just their go and isn't yeah. it their go but there was no momentum, whatever. And to be fair, what I would say, interestingly enough, is, and like I said, I am, I am, I thought that Leo had not a bad campaign. He's good in debates. Debate, in good the debates, debate, yeah. I thought Michal Martin was going to annihilate him. He didn't at all. Yeah. I thought Leo held his own very respectably. In in some cases, one. Oh, I think he saved some seats at the end. Like definitely, definitely. Yeah. I think that. Uh, I was surprised that Fine Gael didn't lead more with Pascal. I thought that there was a good story to tell from the economic the point of view. The economy was the whole story. And he didn't lead with that, and I think mm. the campaign. And Fine Gael had such a bad campaign in the last general election that I really thought that they were going to kind of like come into this stronger no. and win. I mean, whoever is in charge of, of communication strategy in Fine Gael headquarters when it comes to elections, you know, they shouldn't be fired. They should just be shot. I mean, they had two appalling elections. It's almost kind of, you know, Keystone Cops-esque. It, it, they're like, they're so bad. Even in the local elections, they, they always manage to, you know, step on a landmine. 2014, when I was running, they were installing the water meters outside fucking houses of people as we're walking over them going, any local issue, you know. I mean, they're just terrible at timing of, of, of stuff, you know. But like... I really think that, you know, Fine Gael had a half-decent kind of election in that Leo was good in the debates, but they had no new news. They had no new policies. They were talking about yesterday. And if you're talking about yesterday in an election, you are toast because elections are all about tomorrow. That's why American politicians always say America's best days are in front of, are ahead of them. Because you get no thanks for what you gave yesterday. Eating bread is absolutely what forgotten. What have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately is what the voters are. And like, you get no thanks. You know, we stabilised the economy. Deadly, whatever. We cured unemployment. So what? 
well, we fixed, you know, we were tough on Brexit. I can't actually believe that somebody in Fine Gael headquarters thought that Brexit was going to be the election issue of 2020. I mean, honestly, whoever you are, go and work for somebody else. I mean, you're just appalling. Brexit was 1% of the int- of the reason that people vote, 1% in the exit poll. But also... I mean, you got it also, so wrong. But also, like, the Fianna Fáil, like, honestly, it's it, like, listen, there was a couple of seats between them. The reality of it is, is that like it's it's a, it's really a toss up between who lost because yeah because lost. Fianna Fáil should have been winning like some of the people some of the I'm going to say some of the people who didn't get elected who I would have bet my bet money on getting elected and then some people who lost their seats who I was like I mean utterly astounded what do you mean some of I mean like just like give me an example Timmy Dooley. Lisa Chambers. Lisa Chambers. Yeah. Lisa Chambers is one of the smartest, if not the smartest. Very good media performer. Like, performer, yeah. media performer, intelligent, capable people that the party has. Potentially a future leader. Absolutely. Yeah. Losing her seat. Like, that in itself tells you everything you need. And also, by the way, two games in Dublin. Brilliant. Like, mm. the party has not recovered at all. There's party's been a strategy, on, the party's on, like, 14% s- or something. Grand. There's been a strategy, hasn't been Michael cup of tea, but, like, grand, whatever, of... Um, there's a strategy. Of, there's been, a, stra- there's been a, a leaning towards, like, the confidence and supply of a Fine Gael, and then, like, heavily focused on, like, showing how liberal and left-wing, like, left-wing the party is for a number of years. And that strategy has now failed. You will, I mean, we've said this many league. times. Fianna Fáil have been chasing Sinn Féin down the rabbit hole to try and get working-class votes back that they used to own. I hope that Micheál Martin is listening to this when I say to you, you're never getting them back. I mean, not that you're not getting them back. Not that you're not getting them back. I don't agree You're never getting them back. I don't agree with they're that. They're gone to Sinn Féin no, and they're gone forever. I don't agree with you at all. They're, they're gone forever. No, no, no. I, I don't agree with you at all. I think that you can get those voters back. You don't win them back with social nonsense. Nonsense. Like, it's, like, you, like, the, the, I'm sorry, but, like, the people, there are people within Fianna Fáil who work in communities that Sinn Féin do really well in who are, like Dahi de Roche and people like that who yeah. are primed to take seats for Fianna Fáil who do the work on the ground or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. like there's loads of people who could take seats and there's loads of seats to be and I don't believe that that, that working there, class uh, in a vote minute, <clears throat> the, that the working class vote isn't winnable by Fianna Fáil I'm telling you now. the problem is you have to have the policies and do the work and you don't sit yeah. there thinking it's just my turn mm. and sure vote and taking for me for and taking yeah. it for granted and since the party let those people down and like in 2009 and whatever, they haven't come back because you've given them no reason to come back. You see, Michal thinks he's given them reason to come back by saying, just saying things like, you know, I'm left of centre and I believe in rent freezes, except I don't. And uh, I believe in high taxes, except which is not for you. And I, you know, all this kind of stuff. Now, we'll get on to Sinn Féin's, you know, mathematical, gymnastic impossibilities in a minute. But Fianna Fáil, they aren't even speaking to the working class because... They genuinely, I think, have totally taken them for granted, thought they would just come back on side. They ran a Fianna Fáil were at 40% of the electorate for the vast majority of the time that they were in government, right? Even when they weren't in government, they were like in the 30s, okay? So 40% of the population always seem to vote for Fianna Fáil. Now 20% do. The other 20 are now voting for Sinn Féin. They're the working class. They were the Fianna Fáil voters. Where you know, it's not like Fianna Fáil's voters all died. A lot of them are, but a lot of them, it's not like they all died. 
they just went and the working class just went and voted for Sinn Féin. That's the other 20% that Fianna Fáil are missing. I don't think, no matter what happens, that they're getting all of those guys back or even the majority of them back. I think Sinn Féin are here to stay and I think they are the party of the working class. And that is... But also I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a kind of an oversimplification to suggest that it's working class people who are voting for Sinn Féin because if it was only that they wouldn't have got the numbers that they did. They did. Well, and I'm one of the things... Huge numbers of working class people. Yeah, okay, fine. But it's not their only... Like, one of the things that Sinn Féin did really well mm. in the campaign, and we've discussed this, is they tapped into a number of little key issues. Pensioners. Owen O'Brien came across as really uh, strong on the housing thing. That's great. He's very capable. Fine. Also, my mother is a teacher. All my aunts are teachers. They've all been giving out for years about having to sign on for a year when they retire yeah, yeah, yeah. and the dole. That pension thing was, and that, was brilliant Sinn Féin was the first yeah, yeah. party that ever... And like my mum wouldn't vote in vain in a fit, but it was the first time I ever thought, God, she might. She thought she might have, yeah. No, I think, and you know what? It was a, it was an injustice that was glaringly there that all the main parties had signed up to both in opposition and in government. So Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Labour, had, and the Greens indeed had all signed up to this that we were going to push out the pension age, that the the the, con, the social contract where you paid in and you got your pension when you were 65, 66, you know, now it was going to be 67, now it was 68. And it was. And let's face it, folks, it was going to 70. So effectively what was happening was your guaranteed state pension was no longer guaranteed and you were going to be working until you were 70 or signing on the dole. Now, signing on the dole might sound okay if you've signed on the dole on and off or whatever. If you've worked for 40 years and you've never signed on the dole, there is an element of shame turning up at a dole office and signing on. And people did feel aggrieved that basically the brogue was being pulled from under them on this issue and Sinn Féin were the only party to spot it and the minute they spotted it and the minute they made an issue of it every other party backtracked every other party so it was an absolute win for Sinn Féin on that one the second thing is Sinn Féin were the only people talking about we need to change course on housing Owner Brin who's a very intelligent guy literally wrote the book wrote a book on, on housing now, I'm still, by the way, I'm still waiting for that book on. I, I ordered that book about two weeks ago and it still isn't here, so I'm sure that's probably a, a metaphor, you know. <laughs> you, you, you want it, you order it, but it doesn't arrive. But anyway, um, I'm waiting to read but that book. But he did, what I will but say, he, but he's a clever he guy. did his work. No, he's he, a parliamentarian. Yeah. He did his work. Yeah. If I vote for somebody and there's a crisis in something, I want that person you want to be a thinker. You want a thinker. Thinker yeah, yeah. and do their homework yeah, yeah. or whatever. And the one thing I will say is that... <clears throat> You can't, you can't, like, uh, listen, the book's on its way. You might read it. You might rip it to shreds. But, he did, his, but he did his upper wall, yeah. Yeah, he did. You know what I mean? He did. And, and no, like, I don't agree with him on, on, Grand, no, no, it on matter, the high rise. But it stuff. doesn't matter about yeah. that. It yeah. matters about the fact that he did his upper wall, yeah. He, mm-hmm. he knew his brief. He read his brief. He but he came up with some ideas. Brief, and he came up with some ideas. Yeah. And you can't Now, folks, really they might be all nonsense. I'll let you know later when I read the book. Right. You won't read the book. You'll make me read the book. Well, anyway, the point is that, like, other housing spokespeople, right? Okay, Fianna Fáil come out with a last-ditch, you know, eve of election policy on housing. By the way, where were they for the previous five years? But anyway, last-ditch eve of the election. And we all waited with bated breath. And it turned, well, they come out with some ideas. And it turns out that the, 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 you know, the collective wisdom after five years is an SSIA. Well, you know, 2002 called them onto their policies back, right? So you had that, you had... Um, like more aspirational nonsense, we're going to build some social housing, you know, how are we going to fund it? Well, we don't really know yet, but, you know, I mean, it was appalling. But forget about that aspect of things. Can anybody tell me who 
the environment spokesman is for Fianna Fáil, the education spokesman is for Fianna Fáil. Um, you know, okay, the health spokesman is Stephen Donnelly, okay, who barely got elected, but anyway, the health spokesman is Stephen Donnelly, who again, has nothing to offer. So, there are no policies coming from Fianna Fáil, and they're the main opposition party. It was just super lazy. But, I want to talk about Fine Gael because Fine Gael were utterly complacent in this election, even more so than they were in the last election when there was a polling. I mean, I couldn't believe they were going to make the same mistake again, and they did. They literally sit back at every election and expect to be rewarded for what they've given voters in the previous five years. And Fine Gael headquarters, you know, Mr. Curran, you know, Leo, Pascal, whoever, Stop talking about being rewarded for what you've done in the past. Nobody gives a shit. I mean, this is fairly basic politics that you should understand at this stage. You're not getting rewarded for what you've done. Nobody cares about Brexit. Nobody cares about that you cured unemployment. Nobody cares about the fact that you fixed the economy. Nobody cares. What they want to know is what are you going to do tomorrow? And saying, we got some things wrong and we'll do better tomorrow, that's not good enough. What you've got to do is say, Here's how we got it wrong. Here's what we're going to do tomorrow. A lot done more to do. A lot done more to do was a great phrase because it's something the Finnegan never listened to. Like that phrase was good. There is a massive what is arrogance. There? It's like, not even arrogance. I think it's actually, people put it down to arrogance. I actually think that over, over compliments Finnegan. I don't think it is arrogance. I think it's blind stupidity. I just don't think they get that voters don't vote on yesterday. They vote on tomorrow. They just don't get it. Hmm. I don't know. And um, like Fianna Fáil think that they're just. Yeah, I think. It, I, think I think it's like it's 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 simple, but the like you have to have some ideas if you're in opposition, and you have to have a good campaign message if you're in government. And neither yeah. party had either. Yeah, it's as simple as that. And that's why it opened the floor to Sinn Féin to come in with ideas yeah, for like tomorrow. She, like this is the thing that always happens: is people go, "Oh, they ran an amazing campaign." Okay, they had a couple, couple of wins. Yeah. The pension thing, the other bit, but they just fell yeah. into the gap that was created. Yeah. Like Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil have created this Sinn Féin thing. Sinn Féin didn't have some Karl Rove genius pulling strings no. behind the scenes. They just won because they left the like, field because you're like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael were so crap. Yeah. Like and. Well, what do you think is going to happen now? Oh, I think that, like, well, there's two things, right? Number one, if, and, and Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael both know this, right? If Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael go in together in coalition with the Greens or Independents or whatever, they leave the main opposition benches open to Mary Lou directly across the hall, staring at them, giving out to them for five years, okay? Now, the main opposition leader generally will become Taoiseach, generally will win the election, if not that one, then the one after. They know that. They know it would be very hard to diminish Sinn Féin while they are in government, because obviously the government gets the blame for everything, right? So you're setting up definitely Sinn Féin coming back with 60 or 70 seats and being the next government. So there's a reluctance to go into government for that reason. However, to be frank, it's over. Like, there is no way that you are now going to turn around, have another election now, and stop Sinn Féin from coming back with probably 50 seats even now they left about 15 seats on the on the, on the, on the battlefield by not running enough candidates so they're going to come back with 50 odd seats Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael aren't going to hit that but I don't think Michal is going to be able to co- go into coalition with Fine Gael I just don't he said today he wants to he said today he wants to he said he said he still has to He's get a pass desperate to be t- yeah. please let me in sorry, um, sorry, sorry, sorry. he uh, now is doing an impression of Michal um, <laughs> <laughs> both. Um, it was both. Uh, 
No, no, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna convince the lads. Who's, anyway, the lad? Who's the lad? Is it the either, parliamentary party both, or is it the Ardesh? Both, 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 both. I think the I lads. Think he has problems. I think the lads in the parliamentary party don't want an election. I think the lads in the parliamentary party will go. I in think most of the lads in the parliamentary. I think most of the lads in the parliamentary party are thinking, "I'm all right, Jack," and I think that a lot of them have real issues. Like you see, the thing is, all the more reason to But this election. is the thing that people don't ever think about, right? When you canvass, like for example, I was canvassed two different constituencies myself. Jim O'Callaghan, for example. Jim O'Callaghan is the TD in Dublin Bay South. My dad was the TD there for 20 years or whatever, 15. I was a councillor there. I know that constituency pretty well. Jim O'Callaghan knows very well from canvassing that constituency, as I do, that you get, you get told all the time, don't ever go in with Sinn Féin. He knows his electorate better than anybody else does. Yeah. So Fianna Fáil people know their voters better than the next person. And if you're, I don't know, Eamon O'Queeve or whatever, you are like... My voters don't want me to go in with Fianna Gael. Like, my voters have voted for change. My voters have told me, get Fianna Gael out. They know that better than... It. So it's, it's like it's oversimplifying it to say, like, oh, well, they're going to do this and they mm. just don't want another election. If you got elected in the second seat, in the second count, in some, in some rural constituency, and you got elected by telling, t- like, 2,000 people who asked you that you would never go in with... that you were going to get rid of Fianna Gael, you don't care about another election. True, but... In the parliamentary party, when it comes down to it, let's say 70% vote to win the government and 30% don't, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably a good number. I think that you're not going to see 30% of Fianna Fáil TDs resigning. I think they will go, fine, I lost it in the parliamentary party vote, we're putting it to the Ardesh. And they will, and Eamon Cueve amongst them, will say, we're going to give it to the members, no, we're going to let the members decide, and, and then, the members then it goes to an Ardesh, right? Now, then Michal has to sell it to an Ardesh. You can already hear him starting to sell it and say, you know, the people won't well, thank us for the election. Listen, we'll come back to this later. Yeah. I do not think Michal will sell that. Well, and I know the party better than you do. And yeah. I don't think he will. Now, listen, we're gonna we're getting over time here, but... Uh, yeah. So, give me, on your reflection on the election, one person from Fine Gael, one person from Fianna Fáil, and one person from Labour that you're glad got elected. So you can show that you're not too partisan. Glad got elected. Delighted. I'll go first. Give me time. Uh, Fianna Fáil, Cormac Devlin. Um, delighted for him. Works really hard. Very capable. Waited a long time. Worked really hard for a long time. Got elected. He's my Fianna Fáiler. Um, Neil Richmond. Mm. Uh, in my old stamping ground and up and done drum. Super capable. Really good job on Brexit. Very did a really good job on And uh, then um, Labour. Labour is the obvious one. Duncan Smith, yeah. Duncan, yeah. Duncan the local guy here. Duncan Smith. Some of the power right. bars. Yeah. Um, so Duncan is a friend of mine from Fingal County Council and would have been Powers and you know, has been in the house, had a couple of glasses of sherry as they say, but yeah, no, Duncan's a good guy. He's out of him now, he won't. I'm glad. That's the, end, that's the end of Duncan. He won't be, <laughs> he won't be elected again. Anyway, um, Duncan is a secret right-winger. Secret right-winger. No, he's not. But shut up, shut up. Tell people he's a secret right-winger. Um, so, yeah, Duncan... He's, had, he's come to our house and had some good debates. Yeah, with no, I'm glad Duncan got elected. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad, I'm so glad Neil Richmond got elected. I'm really, really glad. Neil is such a capable decent like a decent guy he, there's no malice in him at all yeah. he's a lovely guy and he also took out Shane Ross who's an additional bonus um, you don't what? 
No, no. I had this conversation before. I just don't think you should. There are lots of people who lost their seats that are, as John, oh, no, I know, as John McGurk would say, difficult to mourn. But uh, just no, don't be. I don't. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I mean, like, he was okay. such a disappointment to me because I, I thought he was going to be the guy. Okay. I used to read his stuff in the newspapers all the time and I thought, that this is the guy now to take on the vested interest. This is the guy. He fucking acquiesced. I know, but it's just like anyway, he didn't should, even bring an Uber. I mean, he didn't bring an Uber, folks. The easy one, the easy fucking one. Like he didn't even bring an Uber. Uber's headquarters. Oh, sorry. Apologies about two glasses of wine. I mean, <clears throat> Uber. Listen, just, Uber headquarters for Europe is in Ireland, and we don't have Uber. Okay, like okay, Grant. There's anyway. a list. There's a list as long anyway, as okay. my arm of people Fine. that I'm delighted lost. Fine. But I don't gloat because it's yeah. mean. No, I like. And um, when you lose your seat, it's not yeah. nice. For me, Fall, I do, I, I do love the fact that Cormac got elected. He was there for so long, and you know, I, I really thought that the party and, and Paul McCall. I thought, well, I will yeah, I thought the party were really, you know, did their best to to, to wrong Cormac Dedlin. I mean, they kept putting Mary Hannafin in on top of him. Oh, I don't think that's the no, way. No, they kept doing it, and she wasn't selected, and they kept adding her. You know, and he still, you know, in in the end, he took her out, and I'm I'm glad for Cormac. I think that's great. Paul, who's been a pal of mine for years, I'm so glad to see him get elected in my old stomping ground and fingers. I really am. I'm sad, obviously, because I'm really good friends with Noel Rock and you know, Noel lost yes. the seat. So I really wish that both of them had been that able to That was like Sophie's in. choice for you, wasn't it? No, it was awful. It really was. But, but I really am so pleased for Paul because he's done this hard slog in the council and he's, you know, full-time councillor and that's not lucrative, folks. So, you know, he's done that. He's done the hard slog and I'm really, I'm really pleased for him. He did a good job as Lord Mayor as well. Um, I just wish Noel had gotten in as well but anyway I'm sure he will definitely bounce back and I hope he gets into Shannon but um, yeah I suppose for me they're, they're the ones for me do you know who else I feel terribly sorry for is uh, uh, Malcolm Byrne Dan Wexford oh yeah oh, God. And he's so he won the election in November so nice and life. then lost I mean that is just, it's almost crueler you know it's almost crueler to kind of to never been elected before or, you know at all like it's oh I hope now he'll he'll get back in, but oh, it's just so bad. And, and is he well in the shadow actually? Yeah. Is he good? Well, I hope he gets into the shadow. Um, but yeah, it, it was a kind of a, I mean, what they only got thirty six, thirty seven each, so there wasn't a lot to talk about. Sinn Fein was. Who were you? Who were you pleased to see elected? Pleased to see elected. Well, you've done Fianna Fáil again in Labour, so. Um. I have one. Okay. I think I have to say Louise Riley. Yeah, no, she's very capable. Because, and let me just, like, again, Sophie's Choice kind of stuff, like, she's not my kind of politics, but what I will say to her is, about her, is that she's very capable. Mm. She's smart. Yeah. And I thought that she was, I had, she was on the committee, um, uh, about the Eighth Amendment, mm. and uh, I obviously disagreed with her on that. But I met her in her constituency office oh. and had a chat with her about it, and she was extremely, like, respectful, positive, and sound. We had a bit of a tic tac, but yeah. Mm. I mean, look. I like I, to see. I, I, like I like to see thoughtful some, and thinking yeah, people who are elected. You know, I don't like to see just the local guy who fixes the road. Sometimes and, I would be tempted. I wouldn't vote for Sinn Fein, but sometimes I yeah. would be tempted to vote for somebody if I had a ballot paper in front of me that had a ideologically absolutely opposed to me person mm. that I thought was smart, articulate, 
good for politics, was going to do their Oberwally or whatever, mm. I might vote for them. Mm. A lot, well, I mean, my, I'm going to out myself now. When um, Aon O'Reardon lost his seat the last election, he ran for the Shannon and he came to meet me. And Aon O'Reardon and I, I mean, he's my, like, you know, my political nemesis. He's my Nicolas Cage. And as anybody will understand. You're obsessed with Aon O'Reardon. Nicolas Cage is, is a, an alleged actor. He did win an Oscar. And, but he, he makes crappy films. But I am addicted to Nicolas Cage's movies. I have to watch them and then become enraged so at them. Weird. I just I hate him, but I love him. And Aina Reardon is kind of like that for me. I just like, I hate everything he, he stands for politically, but I can't help but be attracted like a moth to the flame to his nonsense. So when I met him and he wanted my vote as a councillor for and the show. And he Shannon, was nice and didn't like... He was nice and he was very polite and you said he'd be nice to him and I was. And I didn't we, say anything. we agreed on two things. We agreed. I, I, I was, I was. No, I'm not saying you weren't. I'm just saying, I just hate when people think... That like people who have differences in politics, that it's like a free way yeah, yeah, yeah. to be, be obnoxious. Yeah, to yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. it's that's a social so media bad. thing. Yeah, like, it's a social media. It's not thing. just a social media yeah. thing. I've had people when I was on Dublin City Council who wouldn't speak to me, yeah. and I won't name any names. John but, like, Collins. <laughs> John Collins. It was John Collins. Wouldn't talk to him. I met Anna Reardon who wanted my vote for the Shannon and I absolutely I was absolutely convinced I wasn't going to do it Breen McDonough local Labour councillor who's a pal of mine said well I meet him meet him meet him you know look at the vote meet meet him I said well okay I mean so I met him and he came in I met him in insomnia and so and we had a conversation with I was thinking we're not going to talk about economics it's absolutely no point right I said we'll talk about the things that maybe we might have some uh, common agreement on some social policy stuff social liberalism stuff right genuine social liberalism I'm not talking about all this fucking postmodern nonsense but genuine post-social uh, So we talked about drug decriminalization and stuff like that, which I absolutely think he's right on. And uh, I'd like to see legalization. He wants decriminalization. We'll get into that in another podcast. But anyway, I, I thought, yeah, that, that's okay. And then we talked about the upcoming then, the upcoming then vote on the criminalization of, um, of sex work, where, you know, they were talking about making uh, a law against um, having sex for money, which there wasn't previously the so-called Norwegian or uh, Scandinavian model. And I thought I'd convinced them that this was a terrible idea. All you were going to do is push people into the margins, into the shadows, and you were going to make things worse for sex workers. You weren't going to do stop sex work at all. We were going to make it more difficult and more dangerous, as the Sex Workers Alliance of Ireland made the point. And he said, no, no, you've made some very good points there, but completely plumbed me. Went into the shadows and voted in favour of the damn thing. But it's coming up for review, folks, actually this year. And we're going to talk about it in a, in a future podcast. But um, um, are we? I, gave him a, I gave him a preference vote, you know, and I, I gave him a preference vote. And I really think that vote landed on his desk and fucking got him elected. So I, I now, so, so it's actually, I, I now feel as though I saved Aeon Reardon, which makes me want to kill myself. Well, you know? it's politics, baby. Know, it's terrible. Politicians lie to you, folks. They will lie to you. It's just scandalous. <laughs> yeah, but do you not think that, like... I, I don't know it's just like it's hard to explain but I just think like if I'm going to be in politics I want the smartest opposition to keep mm. me on my toes oh, I like him I, like, I think he's clever I think he's definitely clever and I like Owen O'Brien I think he's clever I think Louise O'Reilly is clever I mean there's a lot of people who would never vote for in a million years in the general election who I think are clever but there's also a lot of people who I think are dummies I don't vote for them either but I'm not going to name them but, and, but you know that's very interesting because you know Sinn Féin and Labour Okay, Labour only have a few, but, but Sinn Féin in particular have some very intelligent, thinking people. And mm. how many Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael TDs could you turn around and say are intelligent, thinking people? 
There are some, but there are others who are absolutely intellectual that, fodder. No, 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 but fodder. this is like, to quote Leo, yeah. like there's, there's loonies in all parties. Like, that, yeah. like there's, there, sorry, Sinn Féin have some thinking people oh God, they and they terrible. have some smart people. They also have Chris Andrews. So yeah, I think he balances uh, them out there. He probably the ba- Chris Andrews probably balances out ten decent smart people. But also there was the other one who, who wants to blame Hitler for the for the what was it? Was blaming the Jews for Hitler's? Oh my God! Rita Cronin, Jesus! I mean, there are some people who you wonder how they even got on a ticket. Anywho, um, listen, folks, I think we better leave. I think we've gone on. We've been drinking the wine, and it's our first podcast back, and we've got all excited about it. I think we've been going on for about three hours. So we, we'll leave it there. Uh, we will be back. We're going to have these um, conversations. Now, we're having them in our house now, so we don't have to go to the studio anymore. We don't have to get child This care. is what happens when you're a star. This is what it. the world of coronavirus is going to be like. When you're a grip media star, they let you do it from home. <laughs> so, um, they gave us a mic and everything. Also, as, as you say, it's coronavirus, where so everybody's going to be at home. Everyone will be at working we're, from home. We're phoning it in. Um, so, folks, it's been fabulous. This has been The Unsafe Space. I've been Keith Redmond. And I've been Sarah Ryan. And, uh, See you next you, week. And you've been entertained. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.